0: Okay, so we are starting a new series uh, today, uh, and the Mirz this week and next week we'll do a two-part series on the laws of benching, or Berkat uh, Hamazon, as it's uh, known uh, in Hebrew. Um, and similar to the uh, overview, which thank God I got uh, really a lot of wonderful feedback, not only from you who are in the shir in person, but actually quite a few people even men, who were listening online. Uh, a Chanik, a rabbi from the New Jersey, who just wrote me yesterday how much he enjoyed the two-part series on candle, candles. So, uh, Baruch Hashem. Uh, I think the overview, you know, you know, that style, the way we did it for Neiros, I'd like to do a similar thing, focusing on the what, the why, the who, uh, and the when. Uh, there is, again, I, I looked back uh, many years ago in yeshiva, I, I over a period of uh, two months or three months, I taught benching. I think I have 14 source pages. So obviously, to condense all that into two weeks, we can't do everything. So not everything, uh, fully in depth. But we can definitely do, I think, a sufficient overview uh, to discuss not only the history and uh, the whys, but a lot of the whats and the hows. Uh, of benching. Again, it, like so many things, uh, you know, the fact that we are familiar with this our entire lives, especially since we're kids, we remember being, you know, in Gan or wherever in school, you know, Baruch mm-hmm. you know, and then in camp screaming, you know, Hazan and all that. So it's all great, and that's why we have a strong connection to it. On the other hand, we don't often appreciate how much sophistication, how many details, how many actual halachos uh, are in benching. So in that sense, I think uh, it'll be a very good series and hopefully... Uh, It'll be a review for all sorts of things you do know, and I have a feeling it will bring up all sorts of things that you perhaps uh, did not previously know. So let's uh, dive right in, we have plenty to do even for today's year. So I want to start, as always, at the beginning, we have to start at the beginning, uh, and what is the source of the mitzvah of benching? So the Gemara tells us in source number one, that the source is the posok in the beginning of Sefer, Dvarim, Parshish Ekev, and Dvarim Perchet, the Achalta Visavata, right? We have all sorts of things we learn from the Torah which are much more oblique, much more indirect. This seems relatively, relatively clear. You will eat, you will be full, you will be satiated. and you'll you'll thank uh, you'll thank God for the food. Um, so that is the Gemara says quite clearly is the source for eating l'achareha uh, min That is the source It seems like from the Torah to. Thank Hashem for the food after we've eaten. Now that's an important stress because the fact that we make brachos before we eat, shahakol, mezonos, all those kind of things, is pretty much universally agreed uh, to be only mid-rabbanan. There are some sources that might indicate a possible daraisa basis even for those, but we generally assume the brachos, which will perhaps be its own miniseries, those are Mirabaran, but the daraisa is dafka after we eat. I didn't put it on the sheet, but just uh, it strikes me as something that's worth mentioning. The Sefer Achinuch asks, why do we dafka have benching after we eat? If I would put it it translated into uh, contemporary English, I would say that's saying thank you. What about Please. So that's the first bracha. But that we just said, that's not from the Torah. The rabbis added that. Why, if the Torah is picking one, why did it specifically pick? So it's interesting. Uh, he says it has to do with human psychology. And that is that you don't really appreciate something of physical <coughs> nature, like food, something that's physical, unless you've actually experienced it. The notion of anticipation is something that we might call intellectual, he calls spiritual. He says, you can anticipate truly, truly something that is spiritual. But something that's physical, in order to fully appreciate, needs to be experienced physically. And therefore, basically, you you can, with anticipation, be excited for the steak. Uh, But until that steak is in the belly... You don't truly, truly feel the appreciation. Therefore, that's his suggestion, take it or leave it. That's not critical to the shia, but that's his theory as to why uh, the Torah, if it was going to mandate anything, Dafka mandates after you eat and not uh, before. Now, on the one hand, um, the mention, obviously, it seems quite clear from the Pasuk that you have to bench, and that's a Torah obligation. But the first, I guess, thing we should clarify is what we all grew up just assuming, I mean, it's second nature to all of us, the when do you bench? If you ate a meal with bread, who said, why, shouldn't, why wouldn't the Torah also, is, how do we know the Torah can obligate us on that level of thank you for other foods? Is it obvious? And in fact, if you look at source number two, it's actually a debate. One of the Tanaim felt that you would bench even on other things other than bread. According to Rabbi Gamliel, even if you had anavim, enim, rimonim, etc., you'd, ma- you'd make what he colloquially, or for shorthand he calls, the three brachos. The three brachos meaning benching. We'll discuss in a minute. That's what we're, we're building towards to discuss the breakdown. Which brachos, what, what are the three brachos, the fourth brachos. We're going to get that in a minute. But that's his code for benching. So when he says, or because thinks you bench on grapes, te'enim, rimonim, what is he referring to? The, sh- the shivah saminim, exactly. He's talking about the shivah saminim. Right, he doesn't think you necessarily bench on a strawberry or even on a piece of steak. But Shiva Saminim, he thinks you should bench for. And the Gemara tells, and right away the Mishnah says, no, the Chachamim disagree. The Chachamim say that's what we do, what's called Me'ain Shalosh, which is what the Mishnah refers to as Alamichya. Yes, you have a and It's a discussion, again, not for our topic today, not our series. Is Alamichya, or Baran fashos? but especially is Alamichya from the Torah? Is Alamichya rabbinic? But either way, the Chachamim say, which we know to be the case, yes, for other kinds of foods, you make an alamechia, and yes, if you make, you eat the fruits of the Shiva Saminim, it's a slightly different alamechia. Now where does this come from? Where, how, where would Raghem Leel dream to bench on certain fruits? And how come, obviously, we know that that's not what we do? Where does that come from? So take a look, continuing in source number two, the Gemara itself asks the question. And this is a little bit of a, 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 some Tanakh and some, uh, and some Gemara, so to speak, together. The Gemara says, my time with Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel. Why does Rabbi Gamliel think you have to bench? Just because you had uh, some remonim?" So we said before that the Pasuk of benching is So now we have to be, um, you know, have our Tanakh eyes open, so to speak. If you take a look even on the source sheet, even if you're not uh bucky and you don't know this uh, on your own, and I have to admit, I don't think I could have told you off the top of my head exactly what peric and what posuk that was in, but I gave it to you. The pasuk of you have to eat and be satiated and thank God, it's Devarim Chet Yud, chapter 8, posuk Yud, number 10. Okay, so he points out that there are two psukim that come before that. Dechsev in Chet Chet, 8-8, eight, eight, Eretz Chita seora, dot, dot, dot. Those are psukim that in fact are lauding Eretz Yisrael and describe the Shiva Saminim, the famous Species that Eretz Yisrael is praised with. And then the next Pasuk says, V'chsev chet tet, 8-9, Eretz bo lechem bemiskenus you it's, it's This land of Israel, you'll be able to eat bread without scarcity, etc., etc. And only then, chet yud, V'chal t'v'zavato So says Rabbi Gamliel, it's one long theme, one long run-on sentence. Working backwards, we know we're going to end off at benching right before that was bread. So we know we have to bench on bread. And right before that, is a reference to the seven special species that Eretz Yisrael for the Shiva Saminim. So just like you bench on bread, because that comes right before ben- the puzzle about benching, so you also have to bench on the Shiva Saminim. Oh, that's pretty good. So how come we never do that? Why, why don't we bench on a pomegranate? So the Gemar explains that Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, the last line, where it's underlined source number two, why don't they accept that? Because Eretz, Hifsika You can't read it as a run-on sentence. There's actually a punctuation, so to speak. There's actually a break. Again, if you just look back at the top of the second, the end of that second line, right above where we just were, the pasuk that talks about bread adds another eretz. Right, the pasuk before that eretz chita. It is the land of Shiva Saminim, etc. And then again, eretz. It is the land of where you'd be able to eat bread. And then bench. So Selech you're right. If it just introduced everything with Eretz, and then it was one long run-on ending and venturing, then you'd be right. But the fact that there's a repetition of Eretz and Pasuket, Eretz and Pasuket, what do I need another Eretz for? We know we're talking about Eretz Yisrael. So why did it have the second Eretz, Selech HaChamim? That's because it's breaking up and saying, you cannot look at this as one continuous theme. Eretz Yisrael is praised for certain species of fruit, produce, wonderful, hard stop. Eretz Yisrael is also going to be the land where you'll be able to eat bread without scarcity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then comes the posuk. You have to bench. So just, it's, again, we haven't, uh, you, there's, there's nothing practical yet in the She'er, but I think for most of us, we don't realize you know, how close we were to having a much more broad, you know, people all the time, like, ah, you want to have bread? Oh, I don't want to bench, right? Think about that calculus. If it wasn't about the carbs of the bread, right? There'd be so many different foods. Do you, want, you want to have some fruit salad? Oh, I don't want to bench, <laughs> you know, we have a different life. So it turns out we don't pass in that way. We pass in like the Chachamim. We only bench. And now you know, somewhat surprising, uh, but this is the this is where it comes from. And now you know where, where where we get that from. Okay. So so far what we've seen, and now we know a little bit more than we did five minutes ago on the why or where it comes from. But at the end of the day, the concept of benching for bread is from the Torah. But it's not just a concept. Right. We say specific things, which. Or how do we get the first brachas on a sakol, al-aretz hal-amazon, v'yach l'akol, where does all of that come from? Is all of that also from the Torah? So let's let's unpack that. And that starts in source number three and source number four. And there's a very fascinating, uh, apparent contradiction between two gemaras. On the one hand, the gemara tells us, source number three, Again, repeating the question: the leberkat hazan minat Torah. But here it's not asking about the abstract alone, because that we've already seen. But the Gemara immediately falls off, follows up with: Not only how do I know that benching is from the Torah, but specifically the brachos. Come on, I know what to do. I went, I went to school. I know what the brachos are. So the Gemara continues and says, Vizavato Verachta, That's actually a reference to the first bracha in benching: Zu berkat hazan. Now, in this Gemara, it actually continues. We'll, we'll skip that for a moment. That's talking about the idea that if you have three men benching together, you need the Zimun. So we can skip that. That's not relevant for our topic, a benching generally. But the second line, source number three, second line, Al Aretz, is again, this is all a continuation of the same pasuk in Ekev. Al Aretz, that's a reference to that we have a second bracha that we mentioned, in Eretz Yisrael. All right? Al Aretz Hamazon. And number three, the pasuk says, Eretz HaTovah, that refers to the third bracha of benching of Rachim, which ends in Bonei Yerushalayim. Okay? Now, if I were to stop here, what does it sound like? It sounds like that not only is the concept of benching midoraisa from a pretty clear pasuk of yachal tov eat, rub-dub-dub, dub, thanks for the grub, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you thank Hashem for the food, but specifically, at least these three brachas, again, we haven't found out what happened to HaTov HaMetiv, the Cinderella uh, of benching, um, get left out by everything, right? But, At least, not only do we have the concept of benching having a source in the pasuk, but as often is the case in Torah Shemalpeh, we have all sorts of subtle encoding and allusions, extra words, a little like this. We have actually these three brachos. Okay, fine. What makes it more interesting and exciting, actually, I think, is source number four. Continue down to source number four. Here the Gemara, also seemingly oblivious to the previous discussion, says, same question, how do I know know, where uh, benching comes from? Rabbi Nachman gives a completely different answer. For the record, this is not that Rabbi Nachman. He, this guy never went to Russia. Right? He was never in the Ukraine. He certainly didn't leave his wife for Rosh Hashanah. He didn't do any of that. Right? This, was, okay. this, is from, this is from the Gemara. I'm Rabbi Nachman, hundreds of years before that. Moshe, it's not a pasuk. Moshe Rabbeinu, he made an enactment, he made a Takana in the desert that you should thank Hashem, with one bracha Hazan Sakol. Now what were they eating in the desert? They were eating the Mun. That's what the Gemara says. Moshe Tiken li brachas Hazan, b'shash This is a source that they had some form of a mini-benching after the Mun. As a total, total side point, there was a great uh, Italian uh, Kabbalist named uh, Menachem Azariah Mifano who discusses what would have been, he assumes that there must have been a first bracha on the Mun too. See so has a whole discussion trying to figure out what you think. You know, did they make a shahakal on the man? Did they make a mazonos on the man? Did they make some other kind of bracha on the man before they ate it? Okay, that's speculation. But the Gemara tells us that they had the first paragraph of benching. That was a response to the Mahar. The Gemara continues: Yehoshua tiken lehem perkas aretz, kevashenichmasul When Yehoshua led them into the land of Israel after Moshe dies after forty years in the desert, he says, "Now we need a second bracha." Ala aretz v'yalhamazon. Now they have two brachas in benching. David, Ushlomo, they're the ones who are Metaken Bonei Yerushalayim, the third bracha, David, Tiken HaYisrael HaMecha, HaYishalayim Yerecha, and right when David you know, creates the capital city, he adds words that reference Yerushalayim, and then Shlomo HaMelech, his son, when he built the base of Mikdash, Tiken Bay Sagadol HaKadosh, etc. Now, we now have three brachos, three separate historical time periods. Evidently, until the period of Shlomo HaMelech, it was one by one by one, and we're still only with three brachos. Now, finally, finally, here's the first source that references the fact that, hey, one second, you know, my parents never let me get up the table, get it from the table after Uvenay. There's more to benching, isn't there? What happened to hatova hametiv? So the Gemara tells us I'm in the middle of source number four, hatova hametiv. That's much later in history. Biavne, tiknua, Keneget, haruge, betar. We know it's part of the uh, Jewish rebellion against the Romans, right? They Hauled up into Betar, they thought they could somehow wait them out and lead a rebellion. Of course, unfortunately, it did not end well for them. And the Gemara describes again; we won't have time to read it all inside now. But the Gemara describes here and in other places how not only they were starved, they were tortured, they were killed. But not only that, they were not allowed to be buried. It was I think it was a year I think the Gemara says until they were able to get into Betar and bury those who died trying to rebel against the foreign occupiers. Um, and a miracle happened not only were there bodies there to be buried, they didn't decay. That's obviously a miracle, to spend a year uh, you know, in an abandoned city and not decay. So the Gemara says, when they found them, they thanked Hashem for the ability to bury them and the miracle that they didn't decay, and therefore they added Hatov v'hametivs. So that's much later, much later uh, in history. Now, bottom line is, what do you see from all of this? If you just had this Gemara, where do the brachos come from? Are they from the Torah? No. Not at all. One second. I thought you told me a minute ago in the previous source, number three, that not only is the concept of benching Midor Raysa from the Torah, but even the specific brachos. We broke down the puzzle. This word teaches me this bracha, this word teaches me that bracha. They're all Midor Raysa. And now you have a very powerful gemara it's giving me four different stages of history where there are four different takonos about the brachos. Well, which one is it? Is it Daraisa? Is it from the Torah? Or is it Mirabana? Which one is it? So the common, I'm not saying this is the only answer, but the consensus answer uh, you can find in source number five, and there are many other opinions that say this. I gave it to you in the name of the Rashba, the Ramban, the Rosh, others. This is the consensus answer among the Rishonim that we have to distinguish. If you look at where it's underlined, source number five, the Beis Yosef, that's Rev Yosef Karo, he quotes that the Rishonim are rather this is, you know, this is a very smart, learned group, but the question was obvious to people way before us. Right? These two Gemaras seem to contradict. What, how do we make peace with these two Gemaras? And the Rishonim already gave different answers. And this is the primary answer. He quotes in source number five, where it's underlined, Yesh Lamar, what's the answer? The mat be'anhu, That what did the Chachamim add? They added the specific words. Moshe said, you know how you have to thank Hashem? These are the words. Hashem sakol." And Yoshua added, Allah, the specific words. But the Torah obligation, yes, the concept not only of benching in theory, but the concept of three different brachos touching on three different themes, that is also midaraisa. That's the first Gemara. The imidaraisa, Omra omra. You could have said any words you wanted. Right? Just like you would be explaining to a little kid, you know, thank Hashem, which, you know, and I mean, thank Hashem for Eretz Yisrael, thank Hashem for your food, thank Hashem for your pizza. That, that would have been enough. Only later came Moshe, came Yehoshua, and came David, and then Tiknu Lem Matbeya. Matbeya means the specific form, the words, the words that we have in the bencher, those specific words were later enactments. But not only the idea of benching, but specifically three brachos, with these three themes, those are all mid or raisa. Now this is very, very important to be aware of. Because in theory, you could fulfill your Torah obligation in benching without the specific words in our bencher. So this could come up, for example, and I don't want to delve into it too much at the moment, but this is discussed, you know, when you're teaching young kids how to bench, does it make sense to just have them express certain general themes, even a word or two, or a line from each paragraph? Or do you have to be really strict and make them, at whatever age appropriate, do the whole thing? Like we all, Rav Chaim was worried that certain Shabbos miros that we sing at the table on Shabbos might express themes thanking Hashem for the food. Well, if, it, if the words are rabbinic, but as long as you thank Hashem with certain themes is enough, he was worried, uh-oh, maybe by accent you didn't even realize you're ben right Raisa when you're singing Tzermi Shalom. I'm not saying you have to worry about that if that's one of your on your family playlist uh, of Friday night songs. But Rachai Balajanra was worried. He was worried. So we should be aware that we're we're what we're doing is now deconstructing. Right? We have benching which we all know, but what I'm trying to explain to you and show you is where it came from. Right? So we have the posak we started with in parsha eikha, That's the concept of benching. We now know why it's only Dafka bread. We saw that. And now, even though we have all these brachos that make up the text of the bencher that we hold or that we have on an app on our phone or however it is that we bench nowadays, it evolved in one way. In the sense of the specific words evolved over time. It wasn't all the same, right? People, you know, in certain circles go, you know, did you know that Moshe Rabbeinu never said "Rachim"? <gasps> what? Yeah, it's a Gemara. That wasn't added until much later. That was David and Shlomo. Yeshua added the second bracha. Moshe only said the first bracha. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. But that doesn't mean that the whole benching is a rabbinic institution. The idea of benching, and not only the idea of benching, specifically three brachos with the different themes, those are Torah ideas, as we saw in the first Gemara. But what words to use, how to give those themes form, that various rabbis or great leaders, Moshe, Yoshua, and David, and Shlomo, gave over the years. Now, what's the one thing we've yet forgotten about? Still? Nebuch? Poor? because benching is not three brachas anytime I've benched in my lifetime it's four bruchas. Right after Uvanei we say uh, a brachat Hashem which ends with um, tuv, right? and people who know say amen and that's correct, that's a bracha it's a longer bracha than the other ones it doesn't end with a brachat Hashem but it starts with a brachat Hashem um, tuv, then we'll get to the harachamans in a second so what happened to the third bracha? so take a look at source number six here is the tour, and he's summarizing uh, earlier discussions. And he, he starts just by pointing out something that you may have noticed your whole life. Maybe you noticed you did it. Or maybe you noticed that different people do it different ways. And you always thought it was weird. But you, wanted to, you, were, you were too embarrassed to be that person who said, why are we doing that? Or why is he or she doing it differently? Which is, after we say, amen. So first of all, when's the last time you ever said Amen to your own bracha? Only once. When you bench. Uvene, it's a weird thing. Not It's a weird thing. The Torah quotes that the Gemara says, it's a terrible thing to say amen to your own bracha. Right? You say amen to someone else's bracha. You don't say amen to your own bracha. So why are we doing it there? Moreover, some of you may have noticed, again, depending on, uh, it could be in certain circles, some people go out of their way when they say that amen, to whisper. They're, 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 they're color war queen. They're screaming, And They're flying, amen. You ever, ever seen that? I've seen that. Then other people, you know, are still screaming. They still want to win, you know. I remember a few, my, my, my kids, I'm happy to give free advertisement to them because we love it. My kids uh, have all went to Camp Cayley. Um, so I remember uh, my daughter and the girls session and three boys so two years ago um, I was visiting America anyway and I timed my trip to visit uh, Camp Kaylee. you know, was I was there for Visitor's Day but that Shabbos was my son's boba yom for his bar Mitzvah. so I got to be there for that it was very exciting and then I got to be a guest kind of speaker over Shabbos so like every camp I, so I don't remember if we did this when I was a kid but every camp nowadays like they try to get the kids into the ruach and they have all these competitions for who can sing Zemiros louder which bunk and who's going to bench louder? So I grew up in an out-of-town B'nai Akiva camp, Moshavah Wild Rose. right? If you had clean, you know, linen and, like, toilet paper, that was gashmius, okay? <laughs> they, you know, and I, I, I assume that they've kept up a little bit with the time now, but you still can't compare camps that I grew up with, the B'nai Akiva camps and the Moshavas, certainly the out, of, out of New York ones, with, a, again, Kaylee's a great camp, but it's a New York camp. Right? And you got to keep up a certain thing. So they, I don't remember if Moshevah promised us anything if we bench loud. I don't remember. You know, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, the, <laughs> maybe the, the hike would be 10 kilometers and not 12 or something. I don't remember, honestly. But that was about it. Again, I still loved it. I had a great time as a camper, but I didn't know from Gashmius, that's for sure. But I remember in, in Kaylee, they get up, and actually the division head, who at the time is a member of our show, Yitzky Clapper, he's, he screamed, He's screaming, and my son is like, okay, why? Because the bunk that benches best gets doggies, like poppers, like after they had just had dinner. But at the own egg, they can have more. And guess what? It worked! And my son's bunk, they won. That day, oh, you can imagine the pride I had. He's screaming. I'm like, you know, you're not even able to get in a leader, You have no voice left. He's screaming. Hazzanah call, and El's bunker, standing on the things. Right? And no one there said, B'nei Yerushalayim Amen. Because they would have lost the paupers. Can't take a chance on that, right? So where does that come from? And why are we saying Amen? So that funny kind of introduction <laughs> leads to the discussion here in source number six about the fourth bracha. Because the tour explains that in fact, yes, even though usually we say it's Muguna, you're not supposed to say Amen to your own bracha, there's one time where it's appropriate. And when is that? After the third bracha benching. Bibona Yerushalayim, Meshubach. At the end of Uvine, you should say amen. Why? Shuhusium habrachos, hatov, ametiv, Ooh. It's our way of demarcating a hierarchy. <clears throat> the first three brachos ending with Uvenay, those are the ones that are midoraisa. Everything we've been seeing until now, the concept is from Parshat de Ekev, and Moshe may have added some words, and this one added words, but it's all midoraisa, the themes, the brachos, but that's only the first three. The Baruch HaTashem ending with Umikal Tuv, Reinu, that is, which we, the Mara said, came from Beitar. That wasn't just that the words were added in Beitar. The whole thing, from soup to nuts, Aleph to tuf, that's all rabbinic. So, in order to, we should be, usually we have a Torah mitzvah or a rabbinic mitzvah. Here we one of, it's not the only time, but here's a more rare phenomenon where we, if you're just looking at it from the outside, or for that matter, the average person's whole, his or her whole life, Benching, you don't realize that you just jumped the tracks. You went from a Doraisa track to a Dorabonon track. So says the Torah, that's why we Dafka say Amen after Uvine. It's a little subtle reminder and demarcation. We just ended the Torah part of the obligation. Now we're going to an important, but admittedly lower level obligation, which is rabbinic. He adds, and the Shekharach brings this down to source number seven, but listen, we don't want people to like stop saying the fourth bracha. We don't want people to be mazalzal in it. Oh, you know, again, like that Cinderella image, I imagine, right? Not, we, we, love, we love the rabbis too. We love, we love Rabbanons too, right? Sometimes when I have people who mention, oh, you know, it's only rabbinic, I, you know, I'm like, do you like Hanukkah? Do you like Purim? It's not all about mukzah and things you can't do, right? The, the, imagine Judaism without the Tekonist of Rabbanon. It would not be the Judaism we, we know and love. So, one of the things, Hamazariv to Meitiv. So we don't want to be mazalzal. That's the language of the Rishonim. So therefore, they suggest maybe you should make that bracha quietly. We say it because you know, we're, we're, we're a little bit OCD about it. we want to demarcate. We want to make sure we get it right. On the other hand, we don't want to say it too loud because then you know, over time, people might kind of lose respect for the fourth bracha. Now what's interesting is that there are uh, postmen who suggest, take a look in, in, in the smaller letters in source number seven. So the Ramah says that he thinks nowadays in minak it, it's really not that common. Most people do not say the amen quietly because they think they're all in color war. Um, but he explains, he thinks the following distinction. He says, this is important to be aware of. This is what the Ramah says, source number seven. It says, when you're benching by yourself, then you should, again, first of all, the whole benching might not be that loud. But if you're benching in any way audibly, then the amen should be a little quieter. But let's say you're in a zimun. Right? So, then, what do we know? The person who led the zimun says the last part of each bracha, kind of like in davening, right? Out loud, and then people say Amen. So it says, the Ramah, if we're going to anyway be saying Amen after the first bracha, when the Mazamein said, hakol, Amen, and then Allah Amen. So then it's not going to be like a disrespect to uvenay if we say Amen for that. It so says, if you're in the presence of the zimun, then there's no problem. Anyone can, everyone could say the amen out loud. But if you're benching by yourself, yeah, it's not the end of the world if you didn't. But in case you're wondering why some people have the practice of saying the Amin quietly in the in the third bracha, that's why. We say it to demarcate the hierarchy, but we say it a little quietly because you know, we don't want to emphasize uh, the class system too much. Uh, we don't want people to be mazalzel in that, uh, in that bracha. Now we're almost, almost... Uh, done with the text of the bracha, uh, benching, but again, there's, this is all just to understand what we've been doing our whole lives. Why, where did it come from? Where do these words come from? And now we know, understand there's four brachos, three, the concept is daraisa, and the fourth is slightly less. Before we get to the harachamans at the end of benching, the Gemara source number eight points out that there are additional themes, in addition to the big three themes, Hazana Sakol, al arat al and Uvne Yerushalayim, those are the big themes, right? Hashem, you fed us, thank you. You gave us Eret Yisrael, thank you. Yerushalayim, the Beis HaBikdash, thank you. Those are the big headline themes. But the Gemara source number eight tells us that there's a few other specific things which needed to be included as well. So first of all, you should know in the brach of Bunei Yerushalayim, we can't just say Stam. We have to specifically mention Malchus based David, right? the Davidic dynasty, which we do, right? We say that in our benching. The Gemara, and that's not obvious that you would have had to say that, right? You know, maybe you just say Yerushalayim and the base of Middash. No, it's very important to get the theme in of the Davidic dynasty. Moreover, and this is what I want to focus on, is that in uh, the earlier bracha, we have to, in al artsal in the second bracha, says the Gemara, in the last line of source number eight, there's two other themes. Bris, we reference Bris Mila, and we mention Torah, right? Where does that come from? Turn over the page, source number nine. The brings it down, and the Mishnah Bruer explains in source number ten. Yes, you have to you have to ma- mention Bris and Torah, and we'll get back to the Shocher has a very strict p'sak. Even though this seems to be a, a later requirement, if you don't do that, no so, you have to go back. You're not yotzei benching if you don't mention those themes. Now, where does it come from? So sure enough, it comes from last week's parsha, parsha's lech lecha. When Hashem promises Avraham that eventually your, your descendants are going to inherit the land of Israel, one of the things it says and talks, it's the z'chus of bris Mila, bris shenasan ha'aretz be Parsha Samila, As the Apostle says, he quotes that. And why do they have to mention Torah? So he quotes other, so he can explain that. Because if we don't have Torah, we're not going to be able to keep the land of Eretz Yisrael. The land of Eretz Yisrael is not just something that is governed by geopolitical and economic and military forces. right? It's a spiritual land, which is a living, breathing spiritual creature, so to speak. And Hashem promises in you know, myriads of sukkim, he'll throw us out if we don't follow the Torah. So without Torah, we ha- we're not going to be able to keep Eretz Yisrael anyway. So we get Torah because of Brismila, but we won't be able to keep Torah because of, keep Eretz Yisrael, excuse me, because of, uh, because of Torah. And therefore, though in, in the bracha, where we're anyway saying, Al art's al-mazon, yeah, next time you bench, whether it's this afternoon or this evening, or if, you know, if, you're, if you're on a low-carb diet and you're waiting until Shabbos, but next time you bench, pay attention, you'll see we're actually mentioning bris and Torah in a bracha that's really about Eretz Yisrael. And the answer is because these things are considered uh, absolutely, absolutely critical. Now last but not least on this point of the text of Benching, and then we're ready to move on to something completely different uh, for, the rest, for the remainder of this year, which is I still only got you now. You're now an educated consumer. You're now all very learned. You understand where we got to that we have the four brachos, that we've deconstructed them. But Benching doesn't end there either, does it? right? We have I'm not going to sing for you, don't worry. Uh, we, have, we have all the harachamans. Where does that come from? And the answer is, those are Minhagim. They're not, they're not even rabbinic requirements. Those are minhagim. And this is brought up, it's in a different context, but the Mishiburah, source of number 11, asks, we have an idea, some of you may be familiar with this, that we try generally on Shabbos not to daven for personal things. Personal petition is usually supposed to be avoided on Shabbos. If, God forbid, Rechman allah someone is really in a life-threatening situation... So that we, we do say Tehillim. And there are maybe ways in which a private person can say Tehillim on Shabbos also, etc. But certainly we're all familiar the standard Shimon which we say on Shabbos. It's not just shorter than the weekday Shimon it's completely different. Mm-hmm. The weekday Shimon is, please give me food, and please give me parnasan, and give me rain, and give me all, the, even, even the spiritual things we're asking for. Give me, give me, give me Mashiach, give me Yerot Israel. right? A lot of gimmies in the middle, right? Hopefully with pleases, but still, still they are gimme's, they're bakashot, right? We're asking for things. We don't do any of that on Shabbos. And in general, we're not supposed to. So the harachamans are asking for things. Some of them elite, right? So how can we do that? So the Brura points out, just parenthetically, since shekeven shenagwa kol omram b'chol amazon, nasem lem brach We don't look, somehow it evolved. I'm not a historian, I didn't look in, I'm sure there's some academic literature that I could probably find somewhere if I'd looked hard enough that tell, they could maybe figure out exactly when we can start dating benchers to find out when exactly the harachamans become so universal. But it's certainly way before the bura became universal. Those are certain harachamans that people say whenever they bench. And as a technicality, once it became something that everyone says all the time, that kind of sneaks in and it's allowed even on Shabbos. But I'm not mentioning it to you for the Shabbos part. Um, I just mentioned to you, you see here, what does the bura say quite clearly, that those are not even rabbinic requirements. Those are minhagim, which is why, by the way, I happen to be a traditionalist. My kids know this. I am very uh, shamrani, I guess they would say in modern Hebrew. I'm very conservative about a lot of things. Um, But that's why, for example, I don't love when people add harachamans. Even harachamans that I have no problem with hashkafically. Harachaman for the Medina, harachaman for the soldiers. Just because it's not the way I grew up, it's not the best, right? My kids, like many kids, are a little less uh, conservative than I am. So when my daughter got married, you know, she was very important. At the time, her her husband was an officer in the army. It was very important to them that there would be a a rachaman that was added, which is not, that's not, not, they made up. You pick pick up ten ventures in Israel, five of them might have it. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, I make a million parenting mistakes, but this was the one I got right. Um, (laughs) Probably because my wife told me, shh. Uh, but if that's what you want for your bencher hey, it took a while it wasn't so easy to find the bencher but I said that's on you you find a bencher you want for your wedding if it has a harakhman for the chayalim great again anyone who knows me knows how supportive I, uh, I, I am of the chayalim I've never once had a for the chayalim in, in my benching I don't think that makes me any less supportive of the soldiers I, yes, no, I'm not, I'm not against it. I even let them print... Uh, so far in the whole world, there's only one venture I ever paid for. And that venture, it says Aracham. <laughs> my point is... But, but, if, but I can tell you right now, if my kids had wanted to change one of the four brachos, then I would have... First of all, they wouldn't have wanted to. But hypothetically. So then I wouldn't have let them. You can't play around with brachos that were made, even, even, even if it's rabbinic, let alone it's from the Torah. But the is, the menhagim. So again, why certain people in certain communities they had this harachaman, that harachaman. Again, I, been, let me put it this way. I've been in places where people said harakaman for the New York Jets, <laughs> or for all sorts of things. You know, that I would have allowed in my venture, certainly not for the Jets, but even for any sports <laughs> team. That's just thats Irish kite. Okay, but the point is, there is a little bit more room, both for yourself and especially <laughs> as a parent. Uh, there's a little bit more room to be a little bit more chilled. You know, I'll give you a more practical mean, especially if you have younger kids who have a hard time sitting, right? If they, if you need to draw a line somewhere where bench until here and then you can leave the table, or you want to run around, that's a place to draw. I mean, when they're really young, you might say you only do the first bracha or the second bracha. You build up, but certainly harachamans. Again, I'm not saying you should tell your kids this uh, in general because we want them ultimately to be saying the harachamans. Why not? I, I saw beautifully. Someone asked for Shlom Zaman Orbach, Can I stop before the harachamans? It's not godly. Rabbi Shlomos Zamenorbach said, yeah, you're benching, but then he added, but why would you want to? They're so beautiful. Want, who wouldn't want to ask Hashem for those things? Right? So the answer is, sometimes kids don't want to, <laughs> because, they don't have, because they're normal kids. So the answer is, again, you, I, I'll leave you to use your parenting wisdom, when yes and when no, but you should just keep in the back of your mind, thank you, you should keep in the back of your mind, there's a huge qualitative difference between the Harakamans and everything else. They're, they're really only, everything we say after, uh, is not going to be something you'd have to go back for, you, you don't say benching, even without that, uh, keep, that, keep that in mind. Okay, let's move on now to our second uh, and final topic for today, and then I'll set us up in for uh, next week's year, and that is, we now know what we're going to say when we bench. We know, as we knew anyway, but now we not understand why it's Tafka bread. But now the question is, how much do you have to eat in order to be required to bench? Common misconception that people think that this is a similar question when it comes to making a bracha before you eat Gemara says, not our topic per se, but just as a point of departure, you have to make a shahakal, or whatever the bracha is, even on a minuscule amount. There's no minimum. Any little bit that you have, we say please. Again, good, 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 good dercherts lesson too. Please is even on the smallest thing. But we know for all sorts of eating things, matzah, also in the sukkah, for all sorts of things halacha has requirements. You have to eat the minimum of a kazayas, the volume of an egg, certain things, kibetzah, Yom Kippur is even a bigger amount in terms of what you're allowed or not allowed to eat. Right? Is there a requirement to eat a certain amount in order to become obligated in benching or not? So let's turn, and this, you, and, and let me ask you, and my next question, my follow-up is, that if there would be, what is it, obviously? And number two is, whatever the answer to that question is, is that only from bread? What if I have a little bit of bread, right? A lot of people are like this, right? I'm giving the hypothetical, which I should hopefully do myself more of, which is only have a, the minimum bread you have to have, and then eat other things, right? Then I would, you know, not have to diet as much, or maybe that would be the diet, right? So a lot of people are very conscious; they want to have the minimum amount of bread, let's say for health reasons, but they're gonna, you know, by the time they bench, they're full. Right? They, they ate plenty of other things at the table, but maybe they're more dietetic, but better for their health, whatever the case may be. Let's say I'm totally full, but I had a minimum amount of bread. But I'm full because I had, uh, do other foods combine? Or is it, no, whatever the minimum amount would be, it'd have to be dafka bread. So this is very, very practical questions, as you shall see. Uh, and let's, uh, let's do this. This will dive in. This will take us to the end of this year. So it starts off with a very, very fascinating uh, source in number 12. Now, the introduction of source number 12, which I didn't give you, is that in a Mishnah, it quotes a machlokes tanaim, what is the minimum amount you have to eat? And presumably it's talking about bread, and it assumes that there is a minimum amount. And the Gemara has, the Mishnah has a debate between two of the classic candidates. We were thinking, what are the classic candidates? If I had to guess, what might it be? So someone said, maybe it's a kazayas. Yeah, maybe. Someone said, maybe it's a kibetzah, a little bigger, the size of an egg. The answer is, that's two opinions in the Mishnah. Okay? But with that in mind, look at this amazing Gemara. Source number 12. The Gemara talks about the possibility that Let's assume this would be a girl for her mother, but for, the Gemara is talking about a boy for her, for his father. Could a father, who let's say maybe isn't too tired, doesn't feel well, or maybe he's just not—he doesn't know how to read Hebrew. Let's say he can't—he doesn't know how to bench. Could his under-bar mitzvah age son bench for him? You know, he'll listen, he'll say Amen. but he's listening to his underage bar, under-bar mitzvah son. So the Gemara says yes, ben bevarach laviv. So right away the Gemara says what? Under Bar Mitzvah? Again, it would be the same for a girl. Under Bar Mitzvah? How could it be? You have to be of obligatory age. How could it be? So the Gemara explains. One second. You have to understand there's actually different levels here. Like everything in Halacha, it's complicated. Kigon Shachal shiura dera Now, without telling you what that is yet, what is the Gemara, what do you see already from the Gemara? Evidently, it ain't so simple. Evidently, there's different levels. There's a sheer, there's a minimum amount you have to eat for the Torah obligation. But, a lower level obligation might kick in even sooner. And there could be scenarios, says the Gemara, there could be scenarios, I'm going to fill in the what in a minute, but just so you know where we're going. The Gemara says there could be scenarios where a person is only obligated to bench meet Rabbanon. In such a case, then his child could theoretically be him. But if a person is not obligated only rabbinically, but he has a Daraisa obligation, which evidently requires some minimum amount of food, we don't know yet what that is. Then, under Bar Mitzvah could not. Over Bar Mitzvah, of course. But not under Bar Mitzvah. So, again, I'm not really interested in your children betcha for you or not. That's not the point right now. But what do we already see? Evidently, there is some minimum amount versus some other degree. So that leads into the second line. This we have to read inside, because you have to see this. It's so beautiful and so powerful. An amazing Gemara. Says the Gemara, the angels question God's integrity and accuse him of being a hypocrite. You couldn't do it, I couldn't do it, but it says the Gemara, the angels did. Second line, verse number 12. The angels themselves challenge God. It says in your Torah, you're supposed to be as a judge, integrity, fair, don't be bribed. don't play favorites, and yet, that's what you, God, you tell us, but yet, you, God, don't keep your own word. You don't live up to your own standards. no seipanim li Israel. You play favorites. You favor the Jewish people. As we say, we ask for it every day in Birkat Kohanim. Ysa Hashem Panov Eilecha. We're not embarrassed to ask God to favor us. We're not embarrassed to say we're the You favor the Jewish people. How can you consider yourself an impartial judge? Where's your integrity? You tell an earthly judge to be fair. And not to favor anyone, they'll be bribed. And yet, you clearly favor the Jewish people. So, the answer is powerful. We're not going to spend the time, we don't have the time to discuss the philosophical implications of the Gemara, especially since the Gemara doesn't seem to really answer the question well from a philosophical perspective. But it's a great way to bring together the halachic part of the discussion. Says the Gemara, and the, you know, figuratively puts it into the mouth of God, Armel Lahem Hashem responds, the underlying part of number 12. Can I not favor them? You know, it's like, it's like, you know, the older sibling, you know, or something, you know, saying, Mom, you know, you favor so and so. How can I not? He's the best! That's what the Gemara says. Amr Hashem says back to the angels, you know, basically, you're right, I favor them. But how can I not? After all, look at the Jewish people. Oh, I said, Zisa Kinder! Oh, my best child! What do the Jewish people do that's so special? On the one hand, I wrote in the Torah, V'chalta V'savata! You don't just have to bench because you had a little bit of bread, only the if you're full. And yet the Jewish people, hey medaktik, malatzman, ad Kesaias, Ad right? Whether it's one measure or another, whether it's an olive or an egg volume, that's not gonna make you full, typically. And yet they bench even on a smaller amount. So all the anthropomorphism and all the philosophy of the Gemara will have to do it another time. But again, you see some kind of a hierarchy in the Gemara. It seems like there's two possibilities. On the one hand, the Pasuk says, again, we started this year, 40 minutes ago, achalta Visavata. Usually when the Torah says a vyachhalta, what is a Achila Usually means a kazayas. And maybe there's reason to say it's a little bit bigger, an egg volume, a kabeta, an egg. But the, then the pasik says visavata. Now you could read that as saying, yeah, visavata. And you're you know, it's like a just. Or you could say, you know, you could read that like a real uh, legalist. But a savata is saying, you're not obligated to bench unless you're really full, unless you're fully satiated. Evidently, it's a machlokas. How do we paskin? So it says the Shachanach, verse number 13, how much bread do you have to eat in order to be and benching? A kazayis. But right away, the Mishnah Brewer says, don't be misled. The Shachanach was not discussing on a Daraisa level. Source 14 says in the Mishnah Bura, that's Midrash Rabbana. For we Dafka, sheer sevia. Only if you're full is the Torah obligation to bench. If you have a little bit of bread, but you're not full, then, yes, you still bench, but that's a much lower obligation. That's only rabbinic. That's only rabbinic. Now, first of all, You'll say, "What does it matter if I still got a bench?" Right? If I was one of my kids, they would say to me, "But do I have to bench or not?" The rice, the Abba, stop doing the rabbi thing. Do I have to bench or not? And the answer is yes. Even for a smaller amount of bread, you'd have to bench. So why does it matter? I'll tell you why. For example, first of all, in the not typical case of having one of your children or having any under bar, or bar mitzvah age person be motzi you, if you had enough that you're full, then someone who's under bar mitzvah can be motzi you. But if you just had a small amount, small meal, small amount of bread, then yeah, enichadami. The Gemara is paskening. This is how we pasken. Even someone under bar mitzvah in such a situation, if, if necessary, not ideal, but if necessary, you, even you're under, you know, give a 9, 10-year-old child even, let alone 11 or 12, they could be you for sure. But more than that, something that happens all the time, let's be honest, right? 10 minutes, 20 minutes, not, not after a Shabbos meal, but assuming you actually have bread on a weekday meal, that, you know, certainly I can't be the only one this happens to every now and then. You're an hour later, did I remember the bench? <laughs> well, what happens more often is, I forgot the bench. <laughs> we'll discuss perhaps that'll be one of the topics next week. What happens if you forget the bench? How, much, how long do you have? What if you know a different place? Because right? again, I don't know about you, maybe I'm projecting, but, you know, other than like a Shabbos meal, I'm definitely at like 50% or maybe 20, 30% I don't want to be, be too harsh on myself. But it's not unheard of for me to forget and certainly not, my, you know, other people that I'm related to by blood. <laughs> uh, you know, Did you bench? You know, That's one of the constant refrains uh, with my kids. And I don't think they're particularly uh, unique in that regard, I'm guessing. Um, so let's say if you know you forgot, so that we'll discuss maybe next week. What do I do? Is it too late? Not too late? What if you're not sure? Now, when I was younger, I probably would have remembered. But at my age, I'm often not sure. So do I have to go back or not? So what's the usual of the rules when it comes to if you're not sure about something? I think, I think it depends. Right. Why do we say bruchos, lahak, because we, most brachos are the rabbanan. And you can't remember if you said shahakol, you can't remember if you said mizono, you don't make a bracha, because that's a rabbinic obligation. We have a right to be lenient. If I'm not sure about a rabbinic one, eh, it's okay. But if it's a, a darais obligation, then you have to go back. And therefore, the post will say, you, well, what's benching? We've been discussing this for, for 50 minutes already. What's benching? Is it darais or not? So... Thirty minutes ago, twenty minutes ago, you would have said, "Yeah, it's a daraisa." Any time you're not sure if you benched, got to bench again. But now, what do we know? That might be true, but like everything, it's even a little bit more complicated than that. It depends how full are you. If you were really full, so then yes, you had a daraisa obligation to bench, and if you're not sure, you have to go back. But if you had just a very small amount, a little nibble, nibble, a little nosh, but you're not really full, so then you stop the bench. But that was only rabbinic. And in the situation where you're now not sure an hour later, 30 minutes later, you would not have to go back. So this is not just hypothetical. This is not just me you know, being the rabbi, you know, giving you more and more detail uh, for no reason. This could be very, very practical. But let me ask you another question, which I'm sure someone just wants to ask. I'll ask it for you. How do you decide if you're full or not? I don't mean that as the existential question, which has beguiled me since I'm like you know, 18. You know, And the answer somehow is I always seem to think I'm not full until I realize I'm over I'm <laughs> over eight. I've never gotten it right. I can tell you that. That's the problem. That's not the question I'm asking now. Halachically, we're, we're, we're rigid. We're OCD. We're legalists in, in, in orthodoxy. We can give objective amounts. It's a kazayas, This is how much matzah you have to eat. This is how much this. This is how much wine in the cup for kiddish. Once you're telling me full, forget the fact that you know, I don't even know myself sometimes. What might make me full? I doubt my mother only eats much less, right? Give a little, little milk, right? And then other people who need. I remember once there was again. It's not nice to say, but I just, just, just to, as an extreme example to illustrate the point. Years and years ago, when I was in yeshiva, so I had no relatives uh, who lived in Israel. My parents were really sure what, am I gonna, what are they going to do with me for sukkahs. Luckily, uh, cousins of mine who were learning at a different yeshiva, but their parents were coming for sukkahs and staying at a hotel. And I remember, you know, in, in a way that maybe you know eighteen year olds can be a little bit cruel, me and my cousins were laughing that there was a certain man in the hotel who was very, very big. Like not just like overweight, like anyway, we kind of made a joke that like he's the kind of guy that they have to bring the buffet too, he doesn't go to the buffet. And then Kahave, they brought the dessert table to his table. And that wasn't just because he was big, that's because he was a major, major <laughs> spender in the hotel. he had been there bringing 25 people to every meal for for Yanta for 10 years apparently. Right? So, let's say there's a person like that. Right? Two pieces of pizza, he ain't full. Other people, half a piece, they're full. Does it matter or is it something objective? And this is a rare case where in Halacha we're totally not objective. If you take a look in the end of source number 14, he quotes from the Sefer Achinuch. What does that mean to visavata that you're full? This, this is not the same for one, there's not one objective sheer for everybody. And Now again, not everyone knows when they're full or not. But in theory, says the Sefer Achinuch, if we're healthier eaters, we'd all know when we're full and we'd know how to you know, shut the trap. And says the brura explicitly, let's say somebody who eats very little, just kideh mech right? Mamash, what, what dieticians and nutritionists will always tell you. You don't have to worry about what you're eating and all the fancy gimmicks. If you just only ate when you're hungry and didn't eat when you're full, you'd be fine. So Halakha also says the Sefer Achinuch says the Mishnah if Brorah, if even a little bit makes you full, you're usually, you know, you're that person. You eat a little bit till you're full, that's it. Then even a small amount, then you'd be chive the bench, and in the next source, source number fifteen, he points the obvious. Yeah, the, the flip side of the coin is also true. Let's say you're a person who's a glutton. You're very unhealthy. You're very overweight, and you eat a ton. And it takes a lot for you to be full. So for him or her, it's one amount, and for you, it's a different amount. It's a it's a rare thing, but in halacha, this is a phenomenon, a very interesting phenomenon. Says the Mishneh Berura, based on the Sefer Chinuch and other poskim, that in fact this amount is in fact um, a, a variable. So on the one hand, it would be probably good for all of us if we were healthier eaters, uh, et cetera. But just be aware that if you're looking for a motivation not to diet or not to become a healthier eater, so you'll also have to bench, you know, rice at a smaller amount. I don't think that should motivate anyone not to diet if they need to diet. But, you know, I, I don't want to be accused of withholding information. So here you have, uh, you, have the full, you have the full picture. Now let's finish off with our last, last topic. um, Oh, thank you. Thank you, Shoshana. Oh, good. So so let me clarify. Thank you. I I almost skipped that. So, where does that leave us? What that leaves us is as follows. On the one hand, we paskin, based on the whole cute little conversation with God and the angels, we paskin, that midoraisa, you're only chayif the bench, if you're full. What means full? I don't know. You tell me. When are you full? Okay? We're going to discuss in a minute. The last thing, the last source on the sheet we're going to discuss is that dafka only from bread? So I have to start thinking I wouldn't have been full from the bread but I am full from the, from the cholent or do we combine everything we ate together? We're going to get that in a second. But number one is we paskin midaraisa only if you're full. Oh, good. So now is Shoshana's question which I did not, I would, have, I would have skipped so thank you. What about, does that mean that there's no minimum amount of bread? So in fact, in fact, this halachic trivia if you want, there was one opinion, the Chassam Sofer. He goes to the logical extreme. He says if it's all about Sviya, then even if a person in Nebuch is very old or very sick, and even a minimum amount, less than the Kazayis, but they're full, says the Chassam Sofer, they're obligated to Benjamin Raisa. But that's an outlier extreme Shita. Most posts can reject that. And they say you need Vachalta. And Visavata. What does v'achalta mean? Ein achila pachot mekezayis. At least you have to have a minimum amount of bread. Then, even though you're not, then the question will be: Am I obligated to meet Rabbanan? And there has certain leniencies, if that's the case, if I forget, if I'm not sure, those questions. Or am I obligated to Mid? That'll be if I'm full or not. But we generally assume if you here, bottom line, if you take a teeny little bite of a piece of bread, which unfortunately some people do. This is a common mistake. On Shabbos you pass around the challah and then when I'm clearing off I see this person literally took a nibble. If it wasn't even a kazayas you're not obligated to mention at all. First of all, you also, you're not, maybe you will not see Lachemishnah on Shabbos. Forget the mitzvah part of it. But there's, You have to have at least a kazayas. That's the consensus view. Okay? Do you have to have it right away? So, so that, yes. The answer is yes. Uh, exactly how many minutes that would be. A few minutes, but yes. But, but in general, yes. If you, you know, the best thing in theory is uh, to be able to eat something immediately. But even if it takes a few minutes, but yes, it does have. You know, I can't schlep. If you're nibbling, 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 and after two hours you finish your kazayas, Again, one of the things we'll talk about, at please, God, next week um, is, let's say, I had my kazayas, I had three pieces of challah, and I had seven dips because I grew up in the five towns, and you know, there's no shabbos without dips, um, right? Um, and but. I had Zmiros, Debrei Torah, let's think in the best case scenario, it's Zmiros and Debrei Torah, and the kids' friends came over, and they had more Zmiros and more Debrei Torah, and it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm now ready to bench. Is that too long? So that that kind of topic we can discuss next week, okay? I just want to finish, and then anyone who has questions can stay, and anyone who wants to leave can leave, but the last point, very important, which is when we say you have to be full, the kazayas has to be at least for sure, that's bread. But what about being full? So there were opinions that said, "Yeah, full would mean from bread. you know." And for you maybe that's four slices of challah, for you three slices of challah, for you seven slices of challah, but that's not, I don't think, the accepted view. The accepted view among Rebavad Yosef says the same thing, but I gave it to you here from Ramosha Feinstein, source number 18, says Ramosha, Ha-Tzvi'ah pas Eino Mipas It doesn't mean only the bread. Okay, you have to have the minimum amount of bread. But if the minimum amount of bread with the fish and the salad and the chicken and the cholent, and now I am full, so then you're chayev to bench uh, me the rice. Okay? It does not have to be only, only the bread. Right? That would be the opposite of the non-carb diet. The only carb diet. Right? I'm, I'm full. Now, again, I've had again, i had that. right? We're not even up to the second course yet. Now, in my four chalas, my three dips. You know, I'm, you know, I could end right there if I was a healthier person for sure. Okay? But you don't have to do that. Not, not from a dietetic perspective, and not even from a perspective. Okay, so please guide him Next week, we will discuss some of the specific questions related to women benching. Are women obligated to bench in the same way as men? Are there any differences? We'll discuss that. And I think, again, since, I only, since we're only doing two classes, and I want to be, keep this as practical, we'll do a lot of the things, which as far as I am projecting, but I think are practical. The issue of the long meals, or I forgot, uh, things like that. Please guide him Hashem. We will do uh, next week. Okay, anyone has any questions?